I'm Bryn. I'm Chris. And this is PH, PH Drunk. Drunk. Yeah, we're never going to coordinate that. Oh, well. That's okay. <laughs> That's uh, okay because this is our weekly ish podcast where we drink to excess and discuss classic works of literature and apparently cannot speak in tandem. Uh, Ellis I mean, is on. I mean, we can't speak in, in tandem anyway, so I guess the drinking okay. just doesn't help. Nope. The drinking um, helps with some things. <laughs> it does help with a lot of things, like talking about books. <laughs> yeah. Um, Ellis is on sabbatical. We put that in scary air quotes uh, from the podcast right now for um, actual cool reasons of work. We're going to do a few episodes without her before she gets back on her soapbox. So super quick, everybody. Um, There's nothing I love more than Ellis on her soapbox. It's really, really it is a struggle for me to go a on without sight her. sight to behold in and of itself. I know, really. It's glorious. In today's episode, we are discussing Belinda by Mariah Edgeworth. Belinda is Mariah Edgeworth's second novel, and it was published in 1801, and Edgeworth was Irish, and her dad had a fairly heavy hand in her writing. He edited, like, everything she wrote. It was ridiculous. I know. I just saw a thing that he had, like, a whole bunch of kids, too, and so he's, like, doing all this stuff for all of his children. Mariah Edgeworth just got, like, this heavy-handed editing. So, anyway, that I digress. He's a bit of a control freak. A bit. A bit. A bit. <laughs> a bit. Um, but you know what I love about Mariah Edgeworth? Is she sneaks one by him every once in a while. It's true. It's, it's very true. good. Uh, although you might not be familiar with Mariah Edgeworth now, she was kind of a big deal in the early 19th century, which is the same time as Jane Austen, like the Sense of Sensibility episode earlier. Um, her books were huge hits, and she is now correctly credited with starting several subgenres of novels such as the Irish novel, the big house novel, and the historical novel, so Sir Walter Scott can sit on a tech. Um, although, I mean, to be fair, he did credit her in his little introduction, but, you know, like, who reads Sir Walter Scott's introductions? So Apparently no one, because everyone has fucking written Mariah Edgeworth out of the canon, and is like, who's Sir Walter Scott? And that's some bullshit, because actually she did it first, and she did it better, I would say. It's true. As a digression, Sir Walter Scott is also sometimes credited with starting the three-volume novel, but that was actually after Ben 150 years before, so he can sit on a Women twice. always twice. Women always do everything better and first. It's true. Except Watch. for orgasm. We, use it. we do that better, but usually <laughs> second. No way. Always first. You should demand it. You're right. Hashtag feminism. <laughs> it's my kind of feminism. All right. Segment number one, the super fast, tiny plot summary. Wait, did I say right. it fast enough? I don't know. I'll let, say it faster. Okay, super fast, tiny plot summary. Very good. Will you give us the super fast, tiny plot sure, summary? Sure, yes, please? I will also do it, but I will not speak quite as quickly because um, we're having our special drink. Uh, Belinda is the story of a young lady named, you guessed it, Belinda. She goes to London to find a husband. Of course, as you do, and stays with a woman named Lady Delacour, who has tons of her own drama, which I'm going to need to talk about for a while. Belinda is snubbed by dude number one. She almost marries a dude number two, then in the end, comes back and gets with dude number one again. Mixed into this story are various virtuous people uh, and unvirtuous people. Cross-dressing, there's fake illnesses, there's a masquerade, everyone raise your eyebrows. And everyone could want from a novel published in 1801. 
Um, God, I love a good early 19th century novel. I know. Possibly my favorite? No, definitely, definitely my favorite. Definitely. That or late yeah. 18th century, like right in the, no. right in the sweet spot mm-hmm. there with the novel. Just like 1800 to, well, no, let's, like, let's be fair. Like 19, no, no, I, I can't do this. Nope. Okay, like 1798. To 1814. I don't know. I like <sighs> a good. I like Peak a good novel. amatory fiction at the beginning of the 18th century. I'm gonna get y'all to read mm. them. I'm gonna do it. It's gonna happen. I mean, I'll read it, but it's not gonna be better than that good like early C19 shit. I don't know. They're like swords and stuff. I, I think you'll like it. I mean, I do like a good sword. Hint, <laughs> 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 dear readers, I am not talking about swords. This podcast is not sponsored by swords, but if swords would like to sponsor us for the low, low price <laughs> of our next cocktail, we would be pleased to have you. So, speaking of fake I mean, illnesses, and- at this point, at this point, people are actually listening to this podcast. Like three people, three, but three a whole few. People. So, I think maybe we we should like up the rate for sponsorship. Maybe it should be like all of our cocktails. (laughs) So Swords, if you're going to sponsor us, you have to buy all of us, all of our drinks for forever. It's going to be great. Yep. I feel like they're really going to see that this is going to be a a, a good business venture for them. (laughs) Speaking of Swords, this is not related to Swords at all. It's not related to Swords. Um, It is related to fake illnesses, though. We did mention that a little bit earlier. Uh, we are drinking another the uh, mm, I'm gonna be really good at talking today. <laughs> we are drinking another capital T totally made up cocktail, trademarked. Just kidding, that's not trademarked. Uh, which we're calling the psychosomatic daiquiri. It is a strawberry daiquiri with just a hint, a sousson, if you will, of zucchini. <laughs> Why do we put zucchini in a strawberry daiquiri? You ask. I have a feeling well, you're gonna love this. One, it. you can't taste it. It's true. Two, maybe it'll make you feel a little healthier. Tell us what's in the psychosomatic daiquiri. Um, all right. Okay, so you have a simple syrup. You have strawberries. You have lime juice. You have a, just a small amount of zucchini. Maybe like maybe a, as much zucchini, zucchini as you think you'll need person. opium later. Yes. That is the correct amount of zucchini. Um, <laughs> it's a one-to-one zucchini opium ratio. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah, and then you add rum because you and maybe like an, let me like another strawberry just in case. Eh, I mean, sure. you want to sweeten things up a notch. It's kind of refreshing. I mean, not the zucchini part though. No, I mean it just like it cuts the strawberry a little bit in like a good way. I think maybe we've had too many of these. <laughs> You're probably right. And I think we're also going to lose our listeners if we don't <laughs> pull it together. So if you're still with us, don't worry. We're not going to talk about daiquiris for forever. Um, we might, though. Listen. No promise. Our, our listeners are here for the daiquiris. <laughs> I'm not sure all of them are. All three of them. Okay. All three of them. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. Maybe not three whole ones. Three half ones. All right. Segment two. Themes for days. And it's your turn to do the theme song this time. Themes on themes on themes. Excellent. First, and pretty much for the whole rest of the podcast, I think we're going to talk about gender performance. Ugh, yes, I love gender performance very much. So hard. Do it every day. Um, the term gender performance, for those of you not um, accidentally stuck talking about gender performance for all of your days for forever, um, is 
the things that you do to uh, exhibit your gender on the outside of you. So you perform gender. It's not your like biological sex. Um, it's not your DNA or the the bits you have going on underneath your bottoms there. It's the things that you do to exhibit uh, whether you're a woman or a man or something else entirely. As constructed by society. Yeah. So it's, it's so like the, the things that one does to like exhibit gender as defined by society. Obviously, you can um, bend those rules. You can say, fuck it, all of this is a social construct, which is really what yeah, I like to do. All the best people do. All of that is still gender performance. Everything is gender Everything's performance. Everything is gender performance. Um, including the, the most of the women in this novel, Belinda. Uh, Belinda herself is learning to be enjoy being at home and being at home and being domestic is one of those things that's part of performing your gender in the early 19th and late 18th century. Um, she really can't handle the woman that she's staying with, Lady Delacour, because um, Lady Delacour's manners are described as glaring. Um, and mm, she's, yes. I know, she's trying to teach Belinda to be a good young lady, um, but her definition of a good young lady is something entirely different from I think most people's definition of a good young lady. Um, and the, I kind of want to be Lady Delacour's version of a good lady. I mean, she does have a lot of fun at parties, (laughs) Um, but she's not, well, (laughs) there's a lot of like backstabbing and in some cases actual pistol shooting. Um, but Lady Delacour is trying to teach her how to be a good young lady essentially by not being one herself and like shows her what Mm -hmm. not Mm -hmm. to do. Um, I forgot what the thing was. <laughs> I drank too much wine before. I think started. eventually we're just going to have to skip Lady De- skip Belinda and go straight to Lady Delacour. Because really, she's what I want to talk about anyway. Is that all right? Yes. I mean, really, this is a podcast episode devoted to Lady it's Delacour. It's all Lady Delacour. It's a real hero. All the time. Because, I mean, she's the best anyway. So, Lady Delacour. Oh, I remembered oh. what I was going to say. Okay, yeah. Okay. It's about Lady Delacour, obviously. obviously. Um, so, I love... That Lady Delacour is like that perfect encapsulation of the late 18th century rich married lady (laughs) who's like, like, I locked my shit down. Mm -hmm. I don't have to give a fuck anymore. No, and her version of not giving a fuck is just to spend all of the money. If you hand her money or she thinks she might have money or she could have it one day next week. She goes out and spends it in advance. I mean, she's fabulous. She spends money like like there's no tomorrow, literally. And Only if the tomorrow has flirts, more money. She flirts with every young hottie. More power to you. She gives like the best parties. She wears the best clothes. She just like doesn't give a fuck. Because she did her like societal duty and she is done. And I'm here for it. One of my favorite things about her, though, is that she does all of these things like with intention. She says at the beginning, okay, so Lady Delacour gives her story yes. at the very beginning of this whole deal. She calls Belinda up to her rooms and she shocks her with this weird, strange curio cabinet full of medicine that locks. And she t- just like starts telling Belinda her entire life story. Um, and Lady Delacour's life story turns out to be spending money and flirting intentionally. I love it so I know. much. Um, <laughs> you just want to grow up to be Lady Delacour. <laughs> she flirts with all these dudes first. 
And then she decides to marry the one that's not the smartest, but like he'll probably be the best to her. And he's not the most gallant and he's not the most charming, but he'll, you know, he'll probably make a good husband. And she was trying to spite some other dude who wasn't being nicer. So she marries this guy. She spends all of her dowry money. She spends a good portion of his money. They find themselves bankrupt. And then fortuitously, a a rich relative dies and leaves him with more money. Don't worry, she's going to spend it. And then when things get bad in their marriage, she starts flirting with all these young men. But she's not flirting just to flirt. She specifically wants to make her husband jealous so that maybe he'll come crawling back to her again after being mad at her for spending money. And so she takes this, she takes a gallant, which is what they're called, these young men that you can have just fawning over you uh, when you're a rich lady. I love it so hard. Why can't we do this anymore? I don't anymore? know, but... If anyone, this podcast is not if sponsored anyone by Gallant, to... but if anyone would like to be our Gallant for the low, low price of all of our drinks and spending money for forever, we would love to hear I mean, listen, I won't even make you, I won't even make you buy me a drink. No, yes, I you will. That's like, you're definitely buying me of the a point drink. of a Gallant. The other half is to make your yeah, husband right. Um, I mean, I, I love my husband and I don't necessarily want to make him nervous, but I would like for a gallant to buy my drinks and make me feel beautiful and desired. I mean, and who doesn't? Okay, back to gallants. Gallants. Always gallants. Oh, uh, okay. So, okay. Lady Delagore. I have so many things I okay. want to talk about. Lady okay, Delagore. can we do it? Let's wait. First, we have to make it to the duel. Before the duel, though, I just want to like backtrack okay. a little bit and talk about why Lady Delacour's manners are described as glaring mm-hmm. because I think that it's actually super interesting. Sure. Okay, because it's like very gender performancey. Okay, so Belinda is, I will say, a remarkably likable, like well-rounded. 18th, 19th century heroine, and like let's just give her a brief moment and say that she's like. She's smart and she stands up for herself and she's like a good person and she doesn't just like go with the flow. And we're really into Belinda, but like that's about all the time that we're gonna spend mm. on her. We don't need um, her. We have Lady Delacour. She's like, no, we have Lady Delacour, who's much more <laughs> interesting. So Belinda's like supposed to be this like good, smart, wonderful young woman. Um, and like part of her appeal, right, is that her her manners and her morals and all that stuff are just like natural and innate um whereas lady delacour's she's like the belle of the ball she's like the life of the party she's the most fashionable woman in london and she's like the smartest and the wittiest and the most fashion like she's just like the shit she's she's the yeah shit. she's london's version um, of the shit but the reason that she's described as glaring is because it's so not calculated, although calculated mm-hmm. is part of it, but like it is such a performance. It's like her whole demeanor is very um evidently it's like so perfect that it has to be on purpose. And that's like the glare of Lady Delacour's manners. It's is that it's like so perfect that it's clearly rehearsed, and that's what ben- Belinda doesn't like. Mm-hmm. Especially after she finds and out that Lady Delacour gets like outrageously painted is what they call it. It's early makeup and it kills you. It's like made of asbestos and lead and stuff, but she gets herself yeah. painted up. She spends outrageous amounts of money on dresses. At one point she spends half of Belinda's annual allowance on a dress for one night for <laughs> Belinda. She like spends Belinda's money for her. Oh, Lady Delacour is a real hero. <laughs> um, and so like, 
that glare that we mentioned earlier, that, that thing that Belinda doesn't like, is exactly what I love of that Lady Delacourt. It's that she's like drag queen level gender performance. And it's That's so a perfect good. way to describe that. We should, oh my goodness, we should have drag personas. We should be Lady Delacour. Oh my God. You've just described all of my wildest dreams. How can, we're going to have to organize some sort of party. A pH drunk party yes. where we all come as our favorite characters. Yes, and it can be a masquerade. That way we don't reveal our <laughs> secret identities. <laughs> Very secret with our pseudonyms. Okay, so that's what I wanted to say oh, about glares and gender performance. She's so Ooh, imagine what a masquerade um, costume of impropriety would be. Let's let's just skip all this and have a masquerade. <laughs> leave yes. our lives. We're leaving this shit in. And just throw a masquerade. Isn't academia a don't, masquerade? Don't do that. <laughs> don't do that. <laughs> Did you love it? Did a, you little it? A, little a little of both. A little of both. Okay. <laughs> That's what I'm aiming for. Um, okay. I think it's We time. have to talk about the Rin. duel. The time has come. Duel. That is the time that we that is that's how we meet our in. hero. It is okay. Lady right. Delacour, right? So when so Lady Delacour is our hero. Let's hero. be clear. Um, no, well, I was talking about Clarence Harvey, but Lady Delacour is also our hero. Um so Lady Delacour, right? She takes this gallant. This is where we left off. And um she makes her mm-hmm. husband jealous. Her husband gets so jealous. Lady Delacour did not anticipate this, that her husband goes and fights with the young man whose name is like Lawless, Colonel Lawless. And they get in a duel. Of course it is. And Lawless dies and her husband is injured. Now, um, in 18th century duels, you don't like do the pirate 10 paces and then turn and shoot. Everybody stands at a certain distance apart. And then the challengee gets to shoot first before the challenger. So it's actually very dangerous and you have to hope that it buys a, a bad shot and that their weapon isn't properly cleaned um so the colonel lawless dies and then uh lady delcor is very upset and so she um then she starts taking it out on all of her female friends and she has like this love hate frenemy relationship with a um a couple of women one in particular and they end up getting so worked up with each other that they decide to have a duel and um okay can I just like yes. do a brief interlude? As you were talking about this whole thing with her lady friends and like frenemies and shit, I just realized that there is so much queer there really subtext. Is. Yeah. So she's with yeah, her lady so, friends. Um, lady Delacour and Harriet Freak. It's um they're yeah. described as being uh-huh. Oh, can we have like a little little like just a little like a like a little Okay. Yeah. Just like just a, a just like a quick mention hint. Um Okay, so just a little quick. <laughs> Lady Delacour is described <laughs> as hating a woman named Mrs. Luttridge, and they have these political battles and personal battles. There's a, uh, there's even a battle of an aloe vera plant at one point. But Lady Delacour, she oh, ends up the aloe vera essentially plant. falling in love with a woman named Harriet Freak, and um, Mrs. Freak is described as having a dashing audacity. Um, and uh, she talks about uh, not deserting her to her last breath. Um, there's all kinds of, there's a ton of queer subtext in this. And there's a lot that we could talk about with it. I mean, it's outrageous. Lady Delacour is all of the things. I love it so much. 
All right. Back to the cross-dressing duel situation. Duel. So, um, Mrs. Luttridge is an idiot and uh, makes a joke about uh, if she were a man, what she would do. And so Lady Delacour takes her up on it. And she... Because <laughs> Lady Delacour does whatever the fuck she wants. And so <laughs> Lady Delacour writes her a note and it says... Uh, and Lady Delacour remembers this word for word and repeats it back to Belinda. Lady Delacour presents her compliments to Mrs. Luttridge. She's informed that Mrs. L wishes she were a man that she might be qualified to take, this is in italics, proper notice of Lady D's conduct. Lady Delacour begs leave to assure Mrs. Luttridge that though she has the misfortune to be a woman, she is willing to account for her conduct in any manner Mrs. L may think proper, and at any hour and place she may appoint. Lady D leaves the choice of the weapons to Mrs. L. Mrs. H. Freak, who has the honor of presenting this note, is Lady Delacour's friend in italics, and that means they're second in the duel upon this occasion. But then conveniently, Lady Delacour does not remember Mrs. Luttridge's answer. She just remembers that they're going to duel, um, which is hilarious. All right. So uh, they, they set up this duel, and it's early in the morning, and it has to be early in the morning because to duel, they have to wear pants. And... I understand that everybody's going to say, pants, that's not unusual. It is unusual, though. And it's so unusual that after they fake duel, because the seconds uh, chicken out and they go talk to each other and they decide they're just going to shoot their weapons up in the air. So the Mrs. Luttridge and Lady Delacour shoot their weapons up into the air and everybody has heard that a duel is going to happen. So now they know where it is and they come running specifically to see women in men's clothing. It's a big deal. Um it is a really big deal. I actually have written an entire article about uh, when the bloomer costume appeared in Britain for the first time, like 50 years after this. And it was a mm -hmm. hot mess. The newspapers lost their shit. They were like, they literally were like, oh my God, women are wearing pants. It is the end of society as we know it. They have pants now. Obviously. They will immediately have guns, and then they will turn around. Well, in and this case, though, that's what happens. Except that um, this is one of the few times that Mariah Edgeworth <laughs> mentions non-upper class people. Um, uh, so she mm. meant they are, the people that come running are the people who are up early because they're part of the service class. Um, and uh, the other time, one of the other times that non-upper class people are mentioned are the the man that owns the aloe vera plant that lady delacour buys from the man so that mrs luttridge won't have it as a centerpiece at her party um mm. oh so right. there's i completely yeah, forgot about the aloe vera plant 50 years or so so um the the two of the time the few time very few times that people of the non-top classes are mentioned are in relationship to mrs luttridge which is another interesting tidbit um there and the, the people that come running, the exception to the people that come running when they hear this gunshot is, of course, our hero, well, Belinda's hero, Clarence Hervey. And he comes riding on a horse. Oh, and he's, Clarence. He's riding on a horse, whole dick, with a, I think it's a pig bladder, um, as one does. And mm -hmm. he, as he's one does. leading a whole bunch of pigs um, with him. And he, so he's, is a gentleman in his fancy riding habit holding a pig bladder leading a herd of pigs down a backcountry road. And so he sees Lady Delacour. He offers to rescue her and distract the crowd. So he gets the crowd going around the pigs because he's racing. Wait, I have a question. Uh, Are the pigs trying to get the bladder know, back? a little cannibalistic, I guess. 
I don't understand what the purpose of uh, whatever it is, is. It works though, because Clarence Hervey is racing his other gentleman friend who is leading a herd of turkeys. Oh, right, right, right. So there's these two gentlemen riding down a country road <laughs> at about 8.30 in the morning before most gentle people are up. Usually they get up around 10 and they're riding along with pigs. And, oh, 10 yes, if they're early riders. Just like out <laughs> doing races for rich people. I don't... <laughs> Were we... Were we born during the wrong Possibly. time? Probably. Highly I likely. would like to lead turkeys down a backcountry road at 8.30 in the morning after being drunk all day. <laughs> I mean, I we mean, can still do that. Whatever. And we have the internet now. We got, like, virtual turkeys early in the morning. Okay, so tell me what happens when this duel um, Oh, so the, the duel comes to its conclusion. Um, and Lady Delacour kind of rushes through a whole bunch of other stuff. And then, um, so she transgresses in fancy academic words, um, the Ooh. role of a woman by wearing men's pants and shooting a gun. <sighs> um, and she is also transgressed by having this like outrageous fight with Mrs. Lettridge because she's not following the London rules where you smile politely but hate everyone behind their backs. Um, and she ends up at the mm-hmm. end of the novel, the way she becomes a good character is that she has to like reconcile with her personal character flaws and never transgress again. And she's in the domestic space and she like reconciles with the surprise daughter. We didn't know she had. And like, she sorts everybody else's life out for them, but that's the only way she comes back into the good graces of the narrative. Um, but uh, in the middle <laughs> from this duel, Lady Delacour was not expecting the report of the pistol because of course she's a lady and she's never really fired one before. So she fires uh just like brief brief pause here to mention that um this is a a pro tip (laughs) it's a a tip from one literature professor to all of the noobs out there that are clearly not listening but um guns are always a metaphor for penises Mm -hmm. just like swords so um, every single time basically like weapons yeah yeah weapons basically all weapons imagery weapons (laughs) equal penis yes (laughs) So she's handling. So there you go. Take that to your high school. <laughs> she's handling teacher. a penis and she shoots it in the air. <laughs> and the pistol mm-hmm. has a stronger report than she's anticipating. And it bruises her on the chest. And, and yep. obviously you can't see me, but I'm sitting here ma- making hand motions of how it might report back. <laughs> and, um, it leaves a bruise yeah. on her chest. Um None of this, none of this makes it sound like it's not a penis. <laughs> okay, well, we're going to have to talk. Definitely. We're going to have to talk about bruises on your chest from penises. <laughs> but... <laughs> <laughs> That's it. I'm just saying sometimes the reports okay, well, a little that bit part, bigger I'll than you expected. Yes, fair. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, did the gun go off? <laughs> Premature. <laughs> Maybe she gets a bruise from it. She's not expecting it. Um, oh my goodness. Okay, so she gets a bruise, right? And she, uh, the, but the doctor she calls in for the bruise because apparently you have to call a doctor for a bruise says that she has breast cancer. But he's an idiot doctor mm, who says shocking. she has breast cancer and it's just a bruise. But she starts taking opium for the pain and to treat the cancer, um, like every high society lady, you know. Uh, taking opium and Mm -hmm. but to deal with all of her emotional distress she starts taking a little bit more and more um and so she spends the entire novel the whole thing 
believing that she's going to die any minute of breast cancer. She even calls in two other doctors and they say it's not breast cancer. And she says, do the surgery anyway, which in the early 19th century is like super fucking dangerous. Like don't have chest surgery. Mm. Don't do it unless it's unless it's absolutely it's like absolutely necessary. To be fair, she did have I mean, really good narcotics. Nobody wants to give up their opium stash, I guess, but uh yeah, so she didn't have breast cancer, but she did have a she very took so much opium that <laughs> she um Belinda says that when she takes off her makeup, Lady Delacour looks hollow. She looks gaunt and kind of scary. No. <laughs> That's a lot of opium. Yeah. That's a lot. She's real <laughs> addicted so to drugs. <laughs> so maybe not. I mean, she, she I does know. look kind of a high life. We'll see. I like it. You know, sometimes. I mean, sometimes you just got to be high. <laughs> <laughs> Take that to your eyes. <laughs> this podcast teacher. is not sponsored by opiates. <laughs> But if opiates would like to sponsor us, we'll take them. Thanks. <laughs> no, we won't. We won't do that. Don't, don't tell anybody that. Yeah. No, we won't. No. Okay. Well, I was going to say we should do character analysis, but um, I, was, I was looking here at my notes and it looks like we've already covered all of the character analysis. So is there anything we should add to our segment three character analysis? Oh. But make, because I, I can talk here. I've always obviously had too much strength. Character analysis, but make it hashtag fashion. I okay, so this is like an um slightly different episode of PH Drunk in which we like only talk about one character <laughs> the entire time because we love her so much, but we we just love Lady Death at Court. So yes, I do realize that on themes, on themes, on themes, we just talked about Lady Delacourt and that during character analysis, but make it fashion. Uh we're still gonna talk about Lady Delacourt, but I feel like there's so much okay. depth there. And so I would like to talk about her sure, relationship yeah. with her husband. Let's just do like that. Briefly. Just a little just a little brief. Because I it is, think it's it hilarious. Is okay. So Lady Delacour, before she was Lady Delacour, she was like looking for a dude to marry because she was really rich and pretty and all the dudes <laughs> wanted to marry her. And she picks this one dude who, as Bryn pointed out, wasn't the smartest or necessarily the richest or the most fashionable. But she was like, you know what? He loves me. He can treat me good. She marries him. Smart choice. Always do that. Always choose a man who's going to treat I mean, you good. Yeah. Or the woman or whatever. Just like you take a partner who's going to treat you good. Um, <laughs> you deserve it. Uh, but then they get married and they spend all of their money and they're like, oh shit, we're married now. Um, and she's like, he can't really keep up with me with like how witty and awesome I am and he is like all up in his feelings because he really loves his wife right but he has this pinch or just like handful or like bucket full if you will of toxic masculinity where he doesn't want to be mm, he calls it the, the leading strings like a horse yeah and so even though even though he loves his wife and he very often agrees with her and wants to do what she wants to do. He hates the idea that other people will think that he's not in charge. So he like deliberately goes 
against her, even if it's actually against his own desires. And this drives her crazy, and this drives him crazy, and they're actually, like, really in love with each other, but they keep fighting all of the time. And actually, uh, the Mrs. Lutridge that they have, like, uh, that Lady Delacour has this long-standing feud with, um, the main reason mm. for this feud is that Lord Delacour and Lady, Mrs. Lutridge have an ongoing flirtation. Yeah. Right, and he he goes and, into a duel with Colonel uh, Lawless, and so she essentially has a lady duel of feelings with Mrs. Lutridge until it actually results in a pistol it's, duel. I know, and it's wild because actually these are two people who are married to each other, who are really in love with each other, and just They're like so bad terrible at relationships. Like, if you need to know They're how to so communicate when you're married, it, but that's then, not the example. Don't do that. Whatever don't, they did, don't that's do it. Not, I have a soft spot for Lord Delacour. I do. I think he's just like like a bumbling oaf kind of a character, but he's with a heart of gold. Um, and he's an idiot, like a like a huge idiot. But then when he finds out that his wife is sick, because he also believes that she has breast cancer, he feels so bad and he loves her so much and he just like wants to take care of her and like make her happy. And he just like turns into this little pile of mush that he's been this entire time. Yeah, he starts buying her stuff and he calls in the good doctors. So he speaks her love language and gives her gifts and then calls in the good doctors. And he's like, don't know. Please believe you're going to make it. He just like, he just wants to, I mean, all he wants, and this is like very typical, like everything has to work out well in the domestic sphere, but all he wants is like a happy house with his wife and his kids. Like that's all he wants. And it's, you know, it's actually a little subversive now that I think about it because the one who wants that like happy domestic perfect life is the man. And he like he's actually inhabiting a he's fighting a lot of his best urges and his best urges are the ones that are more typically associated with women. Well, I mean, I sort know. of. Yeah. I don't but know he overperforms the masculinity because he doesn't want to be thought of mm-hmm. as unmasculine. Yes. So in performing his London masculinity though, the London version is to go out and drink and flirt with women and get so drunk you have to be put into a sedan chair at the end of the night or the morning and and he like leans in to this role. He like overperforms this yeah. version of masculinity that he thinks will make everything better. Absolutely reminds me of mm-hmm. Lady Delacour's glaring manners and her like overperformance of femininity and how like the <laughs> overperformance of these two things is seen as the downfall. Like it should be innate and natural. Those are in scare quotes, like it is with Belinda and Clarence Harvey. But it's like uh it's I just so in the novel, the 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 error of their ways for Lord and Lady Delacour is that they're like leaning too far into their gender performance. But it's actually what well, makes I, me I love really them. like that, that they're leaning so hard into this. But to resolve the novel, they have to they have to figure out how to perform a different version. So like Lord Delacour leans into this hyper London mm. masculinity where there's like oh, it's so much booze and then flirting but in reality he needs to work make a little cash and come home and take care of his household and make sure things are ordered well there lady delacour is performing this glaring london femininity that involves going to masquerades and buying expensive dresses and having the exact right colors on your carriage but in reality 
not in reality, at the end of the novel, to resolve the novel, she has to become mistress of the domestic and she has to reconcile herself with that version of femininity. Okay, but like, can I give you an alternative counter reading that agrees with you? It's just like slightly counter. Because what if the resolution comes from not them then performing their gender roles appropriately, but from actually they have to learn how to perform. Like Lady Delacour has to lean into her masculine side and Lord Delacour has to lean into his feminine side for their relationship to work because what they really want is for Lady Delacour to be in charge of their relationship. And Lord Delacour, like even though he fights the leading strings, it's what he really wants deep down. And at the end of the novel, Lady Delacour... Yes, like now she's living in the country with her husband and child and everything, but she's masterminded everyone's lives, right? Like she gets Belinda together with um, Clarence Harvey and she gets her husband there and like everything. She's the one who manages everything, right? And then Lord Delacourt sort of like becomes not resigned to the fact that he like finally allows himself to just be happy with his like, over the toply awesome mm. wife, right? And he stops fighting the fact that she's in charge. And it's like, uh, I don't know. I will say that there's probably yeah, more well, think, yeah. evidence on your side. I do but like, I like the my counter reading. It makes me feel good. It makes me feel good. Although um I'm I still see Lady Delacour as managing a domestic space and fulfilling and fulfilling the matchmaker role that a lot of upper class women are supposed to. Like once you get married, mm-hmm. don't worry because you still have a role in high society, your role is now matchmaker. So instead of, yeah, instead of being matched to get other girls married, you fulfilled that, you're done, check, off the list, no need to worry about you. Now you get to worry about getting other people around you married. And so she steps into that secondary feminine role, but she has to do it in a specific way. And that's contrasted with the the minister's wife, who is the, like the perfect ideal domestic Mm-hmm. woman who's put there specifically to contrast with Lady Delacour. Belinda goes and visits this minister and he has perfect family. Mm-hmm. He's a delight. He wanted to marry Lady Delacour at one point but didn't. Instead he married this perfect goddess of the domestic and Lady Delacour has to become mm-hmm. more like her in order to succeed at the end of the novel. But she does. She like kicks her breast cancer because it turns out it's not. It's a bruise and <laughs> she has visions at the end where mm-hmm. she's taking so much opium she's like i see my death coming through the window she makes it happen so yes i think i agree with you absolutely and 100 percent. and your reading is like i said probably more textually supported i what i like for me the thing that i like latched onto and found just like i don't know i really loved the fact that you get at the end you get lord delacour also his redemption comes from like his secondary role in this domestic sphere like what you get at the end is lady delacour in charge of her household not like lord delacour going yeah he just relinquishes it all he's like here have all the domestic space he's just like i know i'll just be here like all the like the only yeah. space, the only space at the end of the novel is the mm-hmm. domestic space and the woman is in charge and there's not an alternative space for men to go be in charge. And like, I know that's only, a, like, I know that leans really hard into a lot of um, patriarchal bullshit, but it's also I mean, buy it. a little I'd bit subversive. Kind of okay. We're both right. All right. I like it. I'm into <laughs> it. Um, we could talk about this novel for 
ages because there's so much we didn't touch upon. There is girls falling oh. in love with paintings. There's a parrot <laughs> who plays a honestly, but the parrot is there to like point out, and the parrot's there to like be racist though. I mean, yeah. There's like this whole other love oh, interest. We didn't even, we didn't even talk mm. about Belinda and Clarence Harvey. I mean, really, we should just call it the Lady <laughs> Delacour episode. But oh, God, there's so also good. like a gambling problem. But the one person who has a gambling problem, it's Mrs. Lettridge, obviously, because Mrs. Lettridge is all things terrible. And then like the one mixed race mm-hmm. man. <laughs> I mean, Mariah Edgeworth did not yeah. hit it out of the park every time. We we could pro- we could. We could unpack the races from there for a long ass time, but probably, we probably not. Probably if you're still with us, congratulations and thank um, you. Yeah, man, you all do, three of you. you guys are the real heroes. <laughs> Shout out to you three. It's we true. love you. Keep listening. Yeah, let's so do it. You go give first. our final grades to Belinda. I am absolutely giving this book an A. It is a motherfucking romp. It has pretty much everything I love in a C-19 novel. 10 out of 10. Would read again. Cannot stress enough. We I know. I know. Okay, well, I have to give it an A this. also. I, there's everything in it. There's like class, money, sexism, classism. I already said class, so ignore the second one or the first one, whichever one you like. There's... <laughs> no, it's, it's okay. There's, we I mean, there's we like need to talk a, more about there's class. A parrot, there's a gambling problem. There's a, a turkey pig race. I mean... It's there's the shady maid and you know there's the whole thing where you're going back to the ca- class thing there's the whole thing with like the sir there's actually like a plot line yeah we didn't even get to we didn't even novel? get to lady delacour's ladies maid Wild. the valets are there and the, and the valets. valets are important they play a major role in the pro the plot <sighs> i know i know that never happens oh god Okay. Maybe you need to have another Belinda. Belinda part two. We probably won't. As much of the other stuff to. we can step but into an won't. episode, we possibly can. God, uh, Alice is never going to forgive us for putting all of these early nineteenth century, late eighteenth century. That's okay. We'll give her plenty of soapbox space while the while the cat is away. <laughs> the mice will apparently discuss. this time it's Lady Delacour, <laughs> Georgian novels. We only, will discuss Georgian no novels others. only. <laughs> all right. So there's that. Many thanks to you all um, for listening and drinking with us today in our long discussion of Lady Delacour. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Page Drunk Podcast. You can also go over to our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash Podcast and buy us a drink like our um, psychosomatic daiquiri uh, so we can keep drowning our hashtag existential despair and thanks as always to anchor for helping us make this podcast a thing even though we're technologically challenged join us next week to chat about jane Eyre. we hope next week ish next week ish um but that's it for us gentles books down bottoms up